And friends, today we are wrapping up our Advent season, which has been entitled, We Interrupt This Life, with considering how God interrupted the life of King Herod. You know, this week after Christmas is always a big week for shopping, and after Christmas sales and year-end sales. How many of you have done any shopping after Christmas? I mean, I'm raising my hand because we did quite a bit, a lot of great deals out there. We go and buy things for next Christmas already. That's the idea, 40, 50, 60% off. Well, I read recently about three shop owners in a little strip mall, all right next to each other, who were competing for those after Christmas dollars. Shop owner on the left put up a big sign that said, year-end clearance. Shop owner on the right was not to be outdone. He put up a big sign that said, annual closeout. Well, the owner of the little store in the middle knew he had to act fast or lose business, but what else could he say? After some thought, he put up a sign over his front door that said, main entrance. With all the shopping going on this time of year, stores have to take extra precautions about shoplifting. You probably realize that. There's sensors that go off when we leave. We've actually purchased something they forgot to turn off. But still, sometimes shoplifters get away with stolen merchandise. I recently read about one department store that received a note a few weeks after Christmas. The note said this, I stole from your store, but I know it's wrong. I am a Christian, and I can't sleep at night because I feel guilty. Inside the envelope with the anonymous note was $50. Then the postscript at the bottom of the note said, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest of the money. (laughs) Well, our passage today has a lot to teach us about where the Christmas spirit, really the Christ of Christmas goes, as different individuals interact with him, and we're going to consider them today. You know, Christmas has such a buildup, doesn't it? In the weeks ahead, we're decorating, we're planning, we're gathering for multiple gatherings, Christmas parties at work. There's so much buildup, and then it seems to come to that sudden stop, where now we have to take down all of the decorations, maybe unwillingly. I like to leave our trees and decorations up as long as possible. And then comes the reality, where the credit card bills start flowing in. The bills have to be paid. We go back to work and like a lot of things in life that start at a high point, we seem to fall off a cliff almost. And it's not at all that uncommon for people to experience a post-Christmas blues. And I mean that in a clinical sense. Many people come through this season and then go through that very difficult time of actual depression afterwards. And in many cases, it's due to maybe having lost a loved one the previous year and having to go through Christmas without them. The excitement of the season is left with people feeling somewhat down and impactly discouraged. That seems to be a pattern in life sometimes, too, isn't it? We get all excited, plan for a year or two for a wedding, and then comes the reality of marriage, the reality of being married to a flawed human being, like yourself. You get excited about going to a new high school or college, and all excited. then comes the homework and the projects and the papers and the thesis and the rest of the things that we have to do. We're excited about a baby being born, and then there's midnight crying and diapers to be changed. The reality happens. Well, we're entering into that season now after this year's Christmas. You know, we'd expect after in the Christmas story all the events of Christmas, which we've considered over these recent weeks, where the angels come to Mary, first angel Gabriel comes to Mary, the angels speak to Joseph. On the day Jesus is born, the angels speak to the shepherds. There's glory in the heavens, and they go and worship Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are experiencing all these wonderful things. 
we would have thought that the next part of the story was Jesus went home to a pristine nursery in their home in Nazareth, painted blue, of course, because they knew he was going to be a boy. They had that in advance. They didn't need an ultrasound. Having a nice heater in there, having a wonderful climate-controlled environment, a sound machine to help him sleep, a, a camera to watch over him so his parents got their iPhones could watch him from the other rooms. We would have expected that. We would expect that the story would say, and they lived happily ever after. But that's not what the Bible reveals happened, even to the Son of God. In this Christmas season, my wife and I, especially my wife, loves watching the Hallmark Channel. And Christmas movies start probably before Thanksgiving and go on and still are going on some of them. We must have watched at least 30 at least, maybe 40 of them, night after night. And you know why we watch those and especially enjoy them? is because they all have happy endings. People meet, they sort of have a difficulty, and then suddenly they fall in love, and in the story they go off into the sunset happily ever after. We like that. But the reality is God never promised happily ever afters. Fairy tales did that. He did promise us something far better, eternal life in a place called heaven, which I like to call heavenly ever afters. I want to help us today to maintain the true spirit of Christ in Christmas all year going forward. And I believe God can help us learn to do that in some new ways today. That we can let the spirit of Christ, not of Christmas, take charge in our lives. Let's consider what Matthew tells us here. He says that wise men came from afar to worship Jesus. And that sounds like great news. And they find him and they bring their gifts to him. We'll talk about that in a moment And you would have thought that was the best news possible for everybody in Jerusalem, that they all would have been excited about it. They come looking for him, and they find King Herod thinking, of course, he's got to know, and he's got to be one who wants to worship him. But Herod freaked out when he heard that there was a new king. He freaked out so much, he called the religious leaders and said, where's this king supposed to be born? And they said, well, Bethlehem, it's right there in the Bible. Amazingly enough, neither Herod nor those biblical scholars made one effort to go and worship Jesus. We know from the account that Herod sought to kill him. And Matthew goes on in verse 13. I'll read this for us as God interrupts Herod's plans. Verse 13 and following the same passage says, When they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, immediately, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. As we read these biblical accounts of Christmas, I suspect if you're like me, we'd You'd like to think we're like the shepherds, mostly. Or maybe if we really feel good about ourselves, that we're more like the wise men, or even Joseph, who was the obedient one. But I believe we all need to be careful that the spirit or mindset of Herod doesn't creep into our way of thinking about Christ. 
Great preacher Fred Craddock suggests five things about Herod, and I want to share those with you here today. He first says that Herod was a disturbed king. His kingdom, his rulership, his autonomy, his ability to do whatever he felt like was being upset. He was in danger of losing what he thought was most important. He knew very well he wasn't a Jew by birth. He didn't belong on David's throne. He had earned it by political savvy, manipulation, and murder. Fact is that when he was first installed as king, he murdered the entire Sanhedrin, all of the leaders, so that he could gain control. Later in life, he murdered his own family members, including a wife, two of his own sons, sons-in-law, other relatives. He held tightly to control and power because that was most important to him. Christmas, the coming of Christ, was a great threat to him. And if we're not careful, we might discard Jesus' control and his influence over our lives, not just as an infant king, but as a righteous king who sits on the throne for all eternity. But Herod was also a deceitful king, a lying person. He says to the Magi, oh, go find the king so that I too may go worship him with you, while he had no real intent to worship Jesus, but rather to eliminate him. I think we need to be careful in our own walk with the Lord and in the church that we don't become fake or phony Christians. Hard to believe it, isn't it? There's actually phony Christians in the world. Faking a devotion to Jesus and thinking we're deceiving people. Faking worship, coming to church to make business acquaintances or contacts or maybe even to find a date or to parade our talents in front of others. You know, we guard our speech in church speaking in nice words and go back to work or home and spew out profanities. We look up a Bible text in church, flipping through the Bibles in the pew, our own Bibles in those, those same hands. We might look up pornography the following week. We need to be very careful about this because if we refuse to accept Christ as Lord, as the one who has the right to direct the affairs of our everyday life, not just our church life, we can slip into some of those activities. Thirdly, Dr. Craddock says that Jesus was a deceived king. The Magi, after all, were wise men. They knew and they listened to the direction God gave them and they went about to worship to Jesus and then they obeyed God's warning to not go back to Herod. And when that happened, Herod became a vengeful king. He didn't like someone beating him at his own deception game. And so he places this unimaginable order to just randomly kill all children male children under the age of two in the area of Bethlehem. Unthinkable horror. Unthinkable, careless, hateful, vengeful thoughts. The reality is, friends, the coming of Christ still causes violent enemies to respond in our world today. He causes kingdoms, people's kingdoms, to be shaken. Just consider some things with me today. Why does our culture find the words Merry Christmas offensive? Why can't our schools have Christmas plays? Sometimes the opposition in our world is right in front of us. The spirit of Herod is right in front of us. Right here in Chicago this past year, 
an area student, was sent home on Halloween ahead of Christmas for dressing up as Jesus Christ. You probably heard that on the news. All the other costumes were acceptable. Axe murderers, demons, monsters, skeletons, everything else. But Jesus was sent home. There was a parade recently in Denver in their annual Festival of Light parade, and the church's float was banned because it had a nativity scene and the words Merry Christmas on it. Many school districts across the country have banned the singing of Christmas carols, not because they're illegal, but because school authorities don't want to have to be hassled by the ACLU suing them. This list goes on and on. I'll share a couple of others. In Seattle, a King County official sent out a memo asking county employees not to say Merry Christmas and to be religion neutral. One last thing I'll share is red poinsettias were banned from the Ramsey Courthouse in St. Paul, Minnesota because they offended one person who believes the flowers are a symbol of Christianity. This is our world. This spirit of Herod trying to kill Christmas is still right in front of us. Probably the good news in this story of Herod is ultimately he became a dead king. Not long after he had done the atrocities of killing infant children, young children, his life was taken through a horribly painful illness. He was so paranoid at that stage of life, he asked for all of the key officials, liked, respected people in his regime to be imprisoned, and that when he died, they would be executed as well, so that there would be crying when Herod died. He knew no one would cry for him. Mercifully, after he died, that order was overturned and they were released. I want us to consider four main characters in our passage today so we can avoid the way of Herod and go in a very different way. We first see Joseph throughout the Christmas story. He obeyed God in everything at every turn. We see the pagan astrologers who were following the stars be the leaders in worship. They came and worshipped him like devoted Christians. We, of course, see King Herod we've talked about. We saw the scribes and the Pharisees, the one that knew the Bible. They knew the scriptures. They knew exactly what was supposed to happen. But they didn't lift one finger, didn't make any effort to, effort to go the short five to seven miles from where they were in Jerusalem to where Jesus was in Bethlehem. They were too busy being religious, too wrapped up in what they thought was important. Friends, who do we identify most with in the Bible story? the Christmas story. Joseph, I'm coming back to him for a very good reason. He was one of those very interesting individuals in the Bible. We don't hear a lot about him. In fact, he never is recorded as saying a word, but his actions of obedience at every turn, every time God spoke to him, he simply said yes. Even when it seemed unreasonable, even when it seemed far-fetched, even when it seemed impossible, Joseph Sets such a powerful example for us. He just simply and humbly said yes. We see the Magi coming from the east. They earnestly expended their time, their talents, and their treasures to worship God as a model. As I said a moment ago, we see these religious leaders who knew the Bible but did nothing that it really said. And of course, Herod, who was an imposter king. Who do we want to emulate? That's my question for us. How do we want to see our lives change that not just the spirit of Christmas will endure in us, but the spirit of Christ will be more manifest after we put the decorations away, after the, the funny ties and the great things that we wear around the season go away? How do we do that? Well, friends, I believe if 
Following the lead of the Magi and Joseph and rejecting the mindset of Herod and the scribes is the secret to doing that. Because it really comes down to who we are yielding to in our daily lives. The Lordship of Jesus Christ or something or someone else. The question I put before myself when I read these passages, where is Jesus Christ the King and the control or management structure of my life today? What areas do I need to yield to His Lordship in my life today? What secret or habitual sins are we intentionally keeping the light of the world out of that keep prevailing and blocking Him? Some of us may even just see Jesus as our counselor, our friend, our confidant, our father, and even Savior, but not respect Him as King, the true King of kings and the singular King of our hearts. The fact is that the Bible reveals that Jesus as king doesn't come to dominate or force us to do anything. That's why so many fear really bowing the knee to him and yielding to him, thinking he wants to take over and, and take all the fun out of our lives and make us do stuff we don't want to do. Quite the opposite is true. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and full life like you've never imagined it possible before. He brought the best out of the humble and those with right hearts before him. And when he takes the throne in our hearts for good, when he takes the helm of the control center inside of us, our thoughts begin to change. From what's in it for me to how can I serve others? The Spirit of Christ is very real and he's very powerful. And when we yield to him, and the more that we do this, the more of him and his ways just start to ooze out of us. We start feeling differently, much more compassionately, and our focus moves off of ourselves and how we are feeling to being other-centered and concerned about how others are feeling and fearing. We don't have to try so hard to be nicer or kinder or more compassionate. We can trust his power within us and his presence within us to guide us, to inspire the very traits and qualities that we all aspire to. But how do we stay this course for more than just a week or two or three or four around the Christmas season. Well, friends, we need to make love our highest aim, as the Scripture tells us to do in 1 Corinthians. Some kids were asked recently what love was, to define it, and the responses are pretty amazing. One of them said, Love is when my mommy makes a cup of coffee for my daddy and takes a little taste before she gives it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Another said, Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Another one said this, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you really mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. I love this one. One boy said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. And last but not least, little Bobby said this, seven-year-old, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop for a moment opening presents and listen. We need also to follow the great example set before us in Scripture, the wise men. We need to come humbly, as the video clip demonstrated for us and as they demonstrated in Scripture, in humble, genuine worship and adoration before the very foot of Jesus Christ. To never let our worship become stale or perfunctory or rote. We want to bow before him regularly and often and subject our will to his on a regular basis. And then offer the most precious gift we have to him each and every day, the gift of our whole heart 
soul, mind, and strength. We want to follow the lead of Joseph to say yes to God even when we don't understand. Yes to God even when it seems like he's abandoned us. Say yes to God even when it goes against what everyone around us is telling us. We also want to follow the lead of the Magi and sidestep evil at every turn. To constantly avoid the spirit of the mindset of Herod that wants to take control and power in our lives and recognize that this evil is ever around us. Friends, the ultimate message I have for us here today, the Bible says we overcome evil with good. One way I do this for myself is to keep a physical reminder of the coming of Christ right on my desk, right here in my office throughout the year, 365 days a year. I have a very small nativity scene. Here's one of the camels. You can imagine how little the manger is. It sits in the corner of my desk throughout the year. I've had one on my desk for probably 15 years in pastoral ministry. And people wonder, why do you have to, did you forget to put that away? I said, no, no, no. I want to be reminded that Jesus Christ came for me to save us every single day of the year. I want to encourage us today to look forward to a year of doing 365 daily acts of intentional Christ-like love and kindness. Jesus, the scripture says, God so loved the world that he came all the way here, he demonstrated his love in a tangible way. And if we, who will worship just in the walls of this church here today, if every single one of us, every day next year, would do a simple, single act of kindness or love, by the time we meet here next year, that would approach a nearly a million acts of kindness and goodness being spread in our world. Do you realize that? Just this one church. We can change this world. We can overcome evil. We can't stop it. We wish we could. We wish God would just send lightning bolts on all the bad people and remove them from the world, but he didn't give us that mission. He gave us the call to do his will, his way, and to do good at every turn. A little poem I read some time back that I think is very appropriate. It's an anonymous poem called Anyway. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest people with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest people with the smallest mind. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow, I mean, people favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for some underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight, but build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. Can we bow in prayer together? Father, we thank you that you called us to respond to your coming. First and foremost, to receive you into our lives and take hold of the promise of your salvation. But then also, like the Magi and Joseph and so many others in the biblical account, is to bow our knee before you and say yes. You have the right to the throne of my heart. 
you have the right and the privilege and we willingly yield. And God, we yield that throne of our heart to you today. Take up that place of residence in a deeper, more influential way inside of me and inside of each one of us this day that the true spirit of Christmas, the spirit of Christ, will prevail and be manifest in every way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.